0: Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I am your host, William Schmidt. Okay, hello, Andrew. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion on on some different topics and, and updates uh, for this episode of Tax Justice Warriors. So, uh, how are you today? Doing okay. Happy to be back. Very good. Some, some different tax news and updates we, we thought we'd bring to the table. So uh, which, which item would you like to start with?
1: Since you brought up the FAQs, I'd love to hear about the FAQ update.
0: All right, so I'm going to start with a little bit of the, the background. I, I think it was with the economic impact payments, the, the stimulus payments. Just in general, with that during the pandemic, I, I think a lot of tax practitioners were at home and got to be thinking about FAQs. And a, a little bit of the, the pros and cons of, of FAQs are that the, the IRS likes them because they can quickly distribute information to the public. They, they can give a a fast statement to the public about what to do in a situation, but different tax practitioners were criticizing the FAQs because they, they don't have terribly high legal substance to them. And so then what if a taxpayer relies on them and does so to their detriment that can, can they really come back to the IRS and say, well, I was, I was re- relying on this public information you provided, these, these FAQs on this topic, and then, then you changed your mind, and I, I'm kind of caught in the middle on this. And another criticism about the FAQs is that they might get posted, then edited by the IRS, and there's no real record of what happens when, when the IRS updates those FAQs. So also a taxpayer might might be saying, well, I relied on this FAQ, but now it's gone. And I don't even have proof that that FAQ existed, you know, and, unless they printed it out or, or saved it somewhere, something like that, that, that they were just kind of stuck that they relied on something and then the IRS might might come back on them. Now I don't I don't know if this is purely an an academic discussion whether whether anyone has relied on an FAQ to their detriment, but it certainly has been a topic of discussion uh, among tax attorneys that I know of like why what what to do about these FAQs. Well, So on the 15th of October, the IRS released uh, a news release, IR-2021-202. So in essence, the 202nd news release for 2021, basically. And so I'm just kind of going to, to summarize it. The IRS will be posting significant FAQs in IRS news releases and posted on irs.gov in separate fact sheets. So that when those are updated, then those dates will be noted and those, those will be saved on the IRS website. So they will be searchable or, or findable. And so that, that takes care of that criticism that um, there, there is a little bit more of a formal process in finding the FAQs. Now, with regard to the law, um, the FAQs are, are not precedential and they're, they don't have, okay, re- reading from in the IRS's words, because these FAQs have not been published in the Internal Revenue Bulletin, they will not be relied on or used by the IRS to resolve a case. Similarly, if an FAQ turns out to be an inaccurate statement of the law as applied to a particular taxpayer's case, the law will control the taxpayer's li- tax liability. So the IRS is saying that, that they will not treat the FAQs as if they are law, but they, they do go on to say, and again, I'm, I'm reading from the IRS's statement, nonetheless, a taxpayer who reasonably and in good faith relies on these FAQs will not be subject to a penalty that provides a reasonable cost standard for relief, including a negligence penalty or other accuracy-related penalty to the extent that reliance results in an underpayment of tax. And then, then what I was saying about the updates to the FAQs, again in the, the IRS's language, Any later updates or modifications to these FAQs will be dated to enable taxpayers to confirm the date on which any changes to the FAQs were made. Additionally, prior versions of these FAQs will be maintained on irs.gov to ensure that taxpayers who may have relied on a prior version can locate that version if they later need to do so. So I think this is good news for taxpayers that It allows them, for one thing, to be able to find these FAQs if they need to do so and improve their case. And also, the the IRS is committing to that the person would not be subject to a penalty if there is a reasonable cause standard, so including a negligence penalty or other accuracy-related penalty. So I, I think those are good things. It, it would be nice if if these were, were treated like law, but I, I think the IRS is making informal updates on their FAQs, so they don't want to commit to it being law. So I'm generally thinking this is probably the best compromise we're going to get on, on the FAQs, but I am curious if, if you have some other thoughts,
1: Andrew. I just know that. I've used FAQs before. I use them a lot, actually, for the earned income credit rules and qualifying child, qualifying relative, because I get those mixed up every now and then. They do a pretty good job about breaking it down. And I've actually screenshot FAQs off the IRS website before and submitted them to IRS appeals, telling them, your own website says that the taxpayer could do this. So moving forward, I guess I will also include the actual law, not just the FAQ, but sometimes it has resolved it at the appeals level that I think appeals is a little more informal where they see something and they're like, oh, okay, I guess you can do that. And they understand it, but other times it hasn't just because appeals digs in. So it's good to actually understand the FAQs a little more on my end and know exactly what they can and cannot be used for. I like it though, yeah. especially the, that the IRS listened to people's comments and are improving.
0: Yeah. And I i, th- I think it's been good that that the IRS has listened. I, I had listened to an, an interview with the National Taxpayer Advocate, Erin Collins, and I don't remember offhand if how involved she was, but but I think there was a little bit of debate within the IRS on on just where to land on things. So I I think this is probably the best way they can balance getting guidance out to the public along with how taxpayers would be relying on this, and then if they are audited or in court or, or something, how, you know, what, what support they have from the IRS on, on relying on the FAQs, you know, it's, it's nice to know they have, they have a little bit of a safety net now.
1: Yes. Because they're now looking through revenue rulings and reading those to make a decision. They're on the IRS website, FAQs, Googling, things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it would be nice if the IRS, forms and publications also had a little bit of, of this same disclaimer because because I know that the public that's what they're relying on rather than the code or or other forms of law with with regard to to taxes. But I, I think this is a good start. Definitely. Okay. Well unless you have any other thoughts, I was going to turn to some other topics. We, we have some, some different updates on things. And yeah, for one thing, I was just telling Andrew before we started that I recently attended the 2021 IRS Tax Practitioner Symposium. Now, this is hosted by the Kansas chapter of the National Association of Tax Professionals. This was in Johnson County Community College, and I attended on October 20th. So what, what the symposium is, it's, it's an annual meeting for the Kansas chapter of the National Association of Tax Professionals. So definitely tax preparers in Kansas who are yeah, getting, getting updates, learning about tax preparation. But really, for most of the day these are updates from different departments of the IRS. And um, from, yeah, for, for roughly the last hour and a half of the day, then one of their, one of the um, leader, leaders of the Kansas chapter of the NATP does a talk on ethics and Circular 230 concerns. So it, in general while it's supervised by the natp it's it's a lot of talking by irs personnel throughout the day and the ending is is a wrap up from the natp but but a lot of it is is irs updates so i i was telling andrew just before we we started chatting that i don't have too many updates to pass on um, i don't know that i really Thought I had too many updates of substance, but um, what I caught was, was in the morning, and then I had to break away for some meetings in the afternoon, some, some video meetings for, for my job. So I caught the stakeholder liaison, identity theft, the taxpayer advocate service, and small business self-employed field, exa- field examinations, giving their updates. So what I missed were criminal investigation and appeals giving those updates. So the one thing I wanted to mention is right now the IRS is still limiting their travel for for employees. So unless it's an emergency, they're not traveling. So I think there was only one presentation in person through the the whole day from from the IRS, and the rest were all Zoom presentations or yeah conference call type type phoning in. And I'll have to say that I mean it, it wasn't well. It, it was there were some some technical issues, and so while while it's nice that that we can have some meetings virtually and so on. If if there are technical issues, then you know then then that's worse than, than everyone appearing in person. So I'm I'm not going to get too critical just just saying that that's a that's the my main takeaway on, on an update is is like we we really didn't have problems when everyone appeared in person, but now we do, do have some problems. During the, the Taxpayer Advocate Service presentation, they have a slide on low-income taxpayer clinics. So usually at these annual presentations, I will, I will attend and, and speak on that slide for the, the low-income taxpayer clinics, give a, a couple of minutes of a, a quick pitch to the local practitioners. So that's, that's mostly my, my big reason for attending. But it it is nice for me to meet the local tax practitioners and, and get the, the word out locally about which clinics are available
1: and, and what we do. They reach out to you and invite you, or is this just something you have marked down that you attend on your own?
0: I generally stay in contact with the stakeholder liaison. Okay. And yeah, she does a good job of inviting me to different local events related to the IRS and so does a good job about about promoting me and the LiTC program
1: what I'd hear from that is foster a good relationship with your stakeholder liaison and exactly'll have more outreach and education opportunities exactly yeah during during
0: part of the pandemic she switched positions and was no longer with a stakeholder liaison. And it, it was tough to get as frequent emails or, or to get feedback from, from the people who, who had taken her place. And then she transferred back. And it is so nice to, to have her back in that role and just communicate. And, and so I know if, if anything is happening, she will, she will keep me in the loop. So it, that's, that's wonderful.
1: Because I quickly looked up Wisconsin's National Association of Tax Professionals and I'm definitely not tied into them enough so I should probably reach out and see if I can make a connection get some volunteers out that's always helpful.
0: Yeah, and I've I mean I just let them know, hey, if you're looking for a speaker, I can I can talk on on different tax topics that that kind of thing. So I have yeah, I think I think mostly done the quick pitches about the clinic but but one time i did the the more extensive discussion of of what the about the litc program that it's 30 or 40 minutes talking about about that with with slides and and everything so yeah they they had they had a slot to fill in, in one of their their meetings so i did that so so you never know what what kind of you know connections that that can help and maybe some some education and outreach
1: speaking the important question also is did they give you a discount for attending because you are an LITC?
0: well to to some degree i they haven't always charged me on on some of the some attending and and so that's that's been nice yeah so that always
1: makes it easier when these large organizations help us get access to training and great presenters, great slides, great materials. It can be a struggle. Importantly for us, speaking of LITC, I think we have an important event coming up, Bill, the LITC conference. I know we talked a little bit about it and it's going to be virtual again this December. Hopefully all the clinics have RSVP'd or at least know that they have to attend this upcoming week in what is it December 13th through the 16th. I believe the rules are the LITC director or QTE have to attend. Is it one or the other? Do you remember what the rule is? It, or you or might, get a waiver? It might be both or or yeah you have to get a waiver if
0: if one of them can't attend. Well to begin with they have virtual sessions um, November 15 to 19. So November 15 and 16, they have new clinic sessions talking about the basics for the LITC program, grant solutions and progress reporting. They will also have separate sessions for qualified business administrators on topics such as financial reporting basics and the payment management system. So all new, LITC clinic directors, qualified tax experts, and qualified business administrators are required to attend those, and that includes so new staff from newly funded clinics that started with the LITC program in July 2021 or January 2022, and staff who started working for those established clinics after the conference last year in December 2020, and then so they encourage all current clinics with new staff to attend those if if they can also.
1: Bill, I hate to break it to you. I think you and me technically are supposed to attend that because we're with we're employ new employees or a clinic. I'm attending anyways, just because I, I think I need a refresher and especially with the grant solutions. This whole update thing. I know that there are instructional videos on it every before every grant reporting period, but I still think it'd be nice to get a, a review because the, the the interface still confuses me every now and then, switching between the old and the new.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll look and see what the programming is, but I th- I think I've attended two years in the
1: past. So I, I have to. I have to. But.
0: Okay, but what I am looking into more is they have the LITC boot camp from November 7 through 17 through 19. Yeah, so the the Monday and Tuesday are the new clinic sessions. The Wednesday through Friday are the boot camp. So that's geared to to new and newer attorneys and experienced attorneys new to tax cases. But they'll be covering intake. Ethics, family credits, collections, examination and appeals, litigation, collection due process, networking, and innocent and injured spouse claims. So, really, a lot of the basics for LITC work will be covered in those days. That will be a great refresher for people, or or certainly those who are new to getting exposed to. LITC work, but then on December 13 through 16, Monday through Thursday, that is the LITC Grantee Conference. So that that is virtual. And they they haven't posted any scheduling yet for that. But those those will be some of the more advanced topics more more timely. Topics for for what is what are the current events happening within taxes and really the sessions they want everyone to attend. So that's that's going to be the 13th through 16th. But in general, um, I find the LITC trainings to be to be very useful, very educational, and if I I know. Virtually, with with different conferences, they try and do some networking things. I I find kind of mixed results for for virtual networking. That um, I much I much prefer in person networking. So maybe that'll work out for us next year. You know, knock on wood. But but yeah, those those are the virtual plans for for the LATC through the end of this year.
1: And just to correct myself, my statement, both the clinic director and QT are required to attend the conference. I don't want to mislead anyone. Or you get an exception that you have to ask your assigned advocacy analyst. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When, when I was both, then I didn't really ask. I just attended for both. But
1: anyway. And you brought up another good point that Since it is virtual, I'm sure a lot of LITC's budgets put in travel money for the annual conference. Make sure to adjust budgets. I think it should have already happened, but still use up that money so you're not sending it back and try and find other ways to support the clinic besides traveling this December. But I look forward to I guess seeing people, even if it's through Zoom in December, especially more on point presentations compared to other tax events where you get a lot of business or even foreign CLEs. LATC L- 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 conference is good, I think, because it is all on point and all so po- supports our practice.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, occasionally I, I find a, Panel that's not for me, but I'm always thinking, oh, yes, that is those panels and those discussions are always on point for the LITC, while other tax conferences, you, you kind of have to pick and choose to see does this relate to, to LITC work to tax controversy cases to individual income tax or or whatever. So yeah the the LITC does a great job of streamlining useful items for us to to learn about. Well, those those were the topics I I was bringing to the table. So I I think we've kind of filled up an episode just just discussing those. So
1: yeah, some good updates, some good information.
0: Yeah, yeah, wonderful. So so thank you for for joining me today, Andrew, and I look forward once again to, to talking tax with you in the future. Same, Bill. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.